Oh, gracious Heavenly Lord Jesus, we thank you again for this day uh, of worship and that, that we are reminded that that is why we are here today. We are here to worship you, Lord Jesus, to draw nearer to the cross. For those of you who may not know who Jesus is, Lord, we pray that they would know, that they would come and hear you calling their name, and that they would profess the faith in you, Lord Jesus, and find their salvation, O oh God. And so, Lord, as we open your words this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move in this place as it has already been doing, and that you would grip our hearts to the truths that are being proclaimed here, and that anything of me that I put out there that is not of you, Lord, strike it from memory in the record, so that we only hear you and that we only see you here today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. My, my name is Mike, again, and fellow minister with you all, and we are in the middle of a fun uh, sermon series called The Book of Acts that's going to take us through a long journey of the early church, of what the early church encountered, of what the early church endured, of how they handled persecution, of, how they, uh, of what they laid down in terms of what they valued, how they ministered, how they healed. And what I want us to do as a church is I want us to take note and, and come back to, the, back to the basics, really, of what the book of Acts is laying out for us. Because our context may be different than their context. Our time period and what we uh, suffer and what we endure here and right now in 2022 may be somewhat different from what they encountered and what they endured, but the gospel truths, the things that Jesus called them to do, the things that Christ calls us to do as a church in the Great Commission does not ever change. Please just lock that in memory. Churches like to put mission statements together of all fancy words and all different shapes and sizes. But at the end of the day, the mission statement for the church is the same if you're a Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, whatever. And that is to go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching everyone all the things that he has commanded us. With the promise that he is with us always until the end of the age. And so that's what we're doing, going into Acts, and we're seeing that played out. How does that play out? What did they endure, and what did they encounter? So let's dive in. Let's dive into that today, uh, and, and I'm excited for it. So far, we've had two weeks of this, and in the first week, we learned about the value of the church being empowered uh, and the, uh, the company front, and it was a foretaste. It hadn't happened yet. It was Jesus just kind of laying it down. And letting them, letting them know what's about to happen and giving the 11 disciples some last minute instructions and teachings before he peaced out and out he went. And so he told them to go to a place and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. That's where we left in chapter, the first part of chapter one. Then Jen Gannon, Deacon Jen Gannon uh, came up and preached last week a wonderful message that talked about now while they were away and continuously praying, they obeyed and they listened and they reformed the 12. And they didn't do it haphazardly, they did it through continuous prayer. And we took away the value of, of continuous prayer, that prayer is effective and that the Lord listens to it and he wants us to do those things and engage in those things and not just make haphazard decisions without that time of preparation and prayer. And so now we open up to Acts chapter 2, and it's the famous, it's a very, very famous passage, very, very famous uh, section in scripture, because it ushers in the season 
of the, of the Pentecost festival, which was a Jewish festival at first, and then the, the Christians kind of took hold of it uh, <laughs> with, the, uh, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it's actually very, very connected. I don't think I'll have enough time to go into it, but if you ever get a chance to Google uh, the Pentecost feast and what it's for, there are some tremendous tie-ins between what, the, what the, the, the Jewish faith, what they celebrate, and how the Holy Spirit comes and builds upon that festival. It's very, very interesting. I'm sorry, this is only a 30-minute show today. So we, don't, we don't, won't get a chance to do that. And here's the other fair warning for you, too. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, but just so that you know, I'm not going to get to Acts chapter 2 until the end of the, of the message. Because Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming, the 12, Peter's sermon, it all sits on some very fundamental Old Testament theology and systems. And a really cool thing happens between the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the, the establishment of the new that I want to draw your attention to this morning. So if you will indulge me, let's go into Bible land, and you're going to uh, use the Bibles that are in the pews in front of you. We're actually going to look at Ezekiel first, Ezekiel chapter 36, and that's on page uh, eight, uh, 860. And so we're going to look there in just a moment. And the thing, the very, the, this is how I do, the very thing that I want you to walk away with today, if you're going to walk away with anything, and what we're really going to focus on is this, that to experience the power of being a unified people under the one banner of the triune God. It's a mouthful, so say it with me. Experience the power of being a unified people under the one banner of the triune God. I've been watching the Rings of Power and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so I'm very much into this whole banner thing. So that's probably where that all came from. But what we'll see here today is the unification of, the, of Christ church. We will see today the very first company front in motion where everyone comes together empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this, this, this mission called Christ church. Let's dive in, okay? Let's go in there. So to do that, we are going to go into the Old Testament first because this all sits, Acts 2 sits atop uh, a system that was in place in the Old Testament that we also see as well in the New Testament, but with the Holy Spirit coming and outpouring upon, upon those apostles, how, how a great connection, a bridge happens. So let's look. So in the Old Testament, if you remember, the Old Testament starts off where? Genesis. Genesis with the story of the Garden of Eden, Eden right? Okay, we've, we've preached on that several times. It's always good to go back to the Garden of Eden because that's where we kind of see where things went right, the original intent, and where things went wrong. The Garden of Eden, before the big oops, was meant to be this time of great communion with God. Physical presence, face-to-face Man and woman, they were given some duties to do to, to cultivate the land and it would produce crops and that they were to multiply themselves, reproduce, fill the land with people. They were to do all these things and of course it was some great freedom and there was a great harmonious relationship between man and God. And God in this great freedom, he put some boundaries up 
and I gave a message on this a, a couple months ago that the boundaries doesn't mean no freedom. You need the boundaries to understand your freedom. If you didn't have the boundaries, we wouldn't understand what it would be, it would be chaos. So you need the bumpers. And so he puts the bumpers up and he says, whatever you want to eat, go ahead and eat. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, stay away from that. Do not do that. And of course, what do they do? They eat from it, right? What's the fancy church word? What do they do to God? They, they disobeyed. Everyone say that real loud. Disobeyed. Yes, okay. And so it begins this system of obedience and disobedience. You see, Eden hinged on the obedience of God's creation following the rules, obeying what he set down. You obey, you're blessed. The land will be fruitful to you. Your womb will be fruitful. You will multiply. You will know who I am. All the things, that's all there are needed. Then they disobeyed. They ruptured that. And we know that God handed down the, the punishments for it. He said to Adam, now the land's going to work against you. He said to Eve, there's going to be issues with your womb. He says that all those things that are happening there. And then the last thing that he does before clothing them, what does he do? He sends them out. There's an exile. There's a scattering, if you will, of the punishment. There's now a separation. No longer can we have that communion face-to-face -face with the Lord. Now there's, there's this, this chasm. Disobedience, the wrath of God, all kind of ties into this idea of the scattering of God's people. So the Old Testament continues on, and there's people that he raises, that God raises up and works through and, and creates, you know, then the Israelites come, the let my people go, you know, I'm fast forwarding through a lot of history there. Commandments come down to the Israelite people, and the Lord says, now you follow these, you will be blessed. You don't follow these, you will be cursed. And it creates what I call the seesaw of the Old Testament. You know, do this? Anyone want to join me in that? The seesaw of the Old Testament of follow what I tell you to do, everything's great. Don't follow what I tell you to do, and it all turns to pot. Everything's going to work against you in a profound way. Let's make that a little bit more biblical. The seesaw of the blessings. When God's people are being obedient and living and following his commands, they are blessed. And huge things come their way. Ultimately, when they are blessed, they are known for four Ps. They are known as the people of God. They are protected by him. They will know that I am your Lord. He is providing for them. They have provision. The land will yield milk and honey. And they have a place. You will go to the promised land. So if you follow me and follow my commandments, those four Ps are in place. And those four Ps show up throughout Scripture. Now, if you disobey, the Lord says, and in fact, I feel like some translations use the word when. When you disobey, all those four Ps, they turn now against you. All those words. Now, now what happens is they are no longer looked as God's people. He pulls the protection away. He hands them over to the nations like birds that are going to pick away at them. And the provisions of the land all dry up. There's no more an overflow of milk and honey. And they lose it. They are scattered. And we know this about Old Testament history because the kingdoms ended up splitting and scattering 
when they continued to disobey and, and basically profane the name of the one true God. One of those prophecies comes from Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel says to the kingdom of Israel, who is now, the, you know, he's the prophet to them. Prophets were raised up in this time to send some truth to the people to be like, listen, if you repent, if you turn, then you can come back. And this is what the prophets are, are doing. Now, they also outline what happens when God's wrath needs to be poured out because they don't follow. Look at Ezekiel 36, verse 16 and following. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they, look at this, defiled it by their ways and their deeds. In other words, they didn't want God's system. They wanted their own system. They wanted their own gods to worship. They wanted their own money to make. They wanted to be themselves independent. They didn't want to be his people. Their ways before me were like the uncleanliness of a woman uh, well, in their menstrual impurity. So that right there, that doesn't bode well in this day. But that's what they would say back then, that women, when they were, that, it was that time of month, that was unclean. But as we are here now, I'm not preaching on that. So verse 18. <laughs> I love women. Women are wonderful. <laughs> verse 18. So I, I didn't even underline it because mentally I said, why don't you just gloss over that and out it came. Verse 18. So then he says this. Listen to the prophecy. So I, I poured out my wrath upon them. If you've got your own Bibles, please underline that, that is, and lock that away. He pours out his wrath upon them. For the blood that they had shed in the land and for the idols which they had defiled. Then 19, I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that, the people said to them, are these the people of the Lord? Yet they had gone out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned amongst the nations to which they came. Listen to that prophecy. And just before that, actually in verses 1 through 15 in chapter 36, there's a prophecy actually over the land of how, how the cursings are going to affect the land and a little, a little emblem of hope of what God could do in terms of restoring everything together. But what I wanted to focus in on was the outpouring of God's wrath. Because there is this theme through scripture that when he pours his wrath out, the people scatter. And it reminded me a lot of me as a father with my children. Go with me on this, please. So I love my children. Three children, they're wonderful. They were up here. They were sitting. My son was sitting next to a young lady and wanted to play with her dress, to which she was like, get off my dress. And he continued to wanted to play. And he got one of those right up here, like that, looked at me, and he stopped. Now, if we were at home, I would have probably said to him, absolutely not. We don't do that. And then he would probably, in turn, because he's my child, be like, Ugh. and just, Ugh. you know, that, you know, Claire, my oldest, does the same thing. She, no, I don't want. And then they, they, that face, just something inside of me stirs when I see the whining face. And I say to them, go to your room. 
So when there's an issue with me and my children and there's a time of punishment and there's something that is happening, I tell them, they whine, they throw a fit. I say, go to your room. Just go to your room. Have a moment. There is a sending away of that child. Right? And that child goes to the room. They have their moment. They feel the sting of what they did was wrong, hopefully. I calm down. Have cooler heads prevail. And you know why? Because if I were to choose to enact the punishment in the heat of the moment, I am not in the right mental facility to do that yet. And they are not in the right mental capacity to receive the instruction of, now don't do this again. This is why. If the Lord had his way right away with us, and, and instead of scattering us, if he would just, just say what he wanted to say when we messed up, we would all die. The wages of sin is death, right? So that's not what he does. He scatters. Scatters them. Go to your room. Go to your room and, and, and think about the things that are, that are going on here. And to feel the sting. Because as they scatter, they're no longer people. As they scatter, they no longer have those protections. As they scatter, they no longer have the land yielding for them. Feel the sting of your disobedience for me. Sinful disobedience does not mix with a holy and righteous God, my friends. And that is also part of this system of the Old Testament and that separation. Because he's holy and righteous and now we're dirty and sinful. And those two things are like oil and water. They can't mix. It needs an emulsifier. You know what an emulsifier is? It needs something mixed into it to whip it up and hold it together. Let's listen to a sermon from Tony Evans. He likened it to this, that his now late wife used to make sandwiches for him, and he loved sandwiches on white bread with ham and cheese. And on both sides of that bread, he wanted what? Mayonnaise. Thank the Lord for mayonnaise. Because mayonnaise is an emulsified substance. Without the egg, without the, the process of emulsification, it's just vinegar and, and oil. It needs the other thing to whip it together. The holy righteousness of God the sinful humanity, they can't, they can't come together. But when we do have a posture of obedience, there's something that the Lord loves about his people having a posture of obedience and of expectation of like, okay, here I am, Lord, send me, Let, let's do this. And, and he uses imperfect people because you go through the whole Old Testament of faithful folks, Abraham, David, etc., and they were a hot mess. They were not perfect. They disobeyed God hand over fist all the time. But he still used them when they were faithful and he blessed them and worked through them. Now, don't go down the road of me saying that you just need to be more faithful and then you get blessings. That's not what I am saying. I am not saying that the more faithful you are, the more a heap of blessings are happening. What I am saying is that there is an expectation from God that comes from being called the people of God, a child of God, that expects a heart of posture and obedience to do what he's calling you to do. Let me say that again. There is an expectation for the people of God, for you as a child of God, to have a posture of obedience because of your faith. And that that faithful obedience, that trust from God, that responsibility is there because through you, he is going to get to the people who have no idea who he is. Through you, 
and your disobedience and your sinfulness, he's going to remedy that so that the people would know who he is. The Ezekiel prophecy doesn't end here at verse 21. He says, I'm concerned for my name. You have profaned my name. And so now I'm going to work through you so that all the nations will know who I am. I will make you a people again. I will give you a place again. I will give you provision and protection again so that everyone who is watching will see that from nothing and the sinfulness and despair of who you are, you become this mighty nation again. You all should be thinking, yes, thank God, because that is exactly what we need. Through you and it's not because he has an ego. This is not God thinking, oh, I'm embarrassed because of what you have done. This is God saying, I'm going to work through you for all nations. This is an evangelism thing. God is about taking the imperfect people who couldn't do it on their own at all and doing something magnificent, doing something amazing through them so that the rest of the world would know who he is. Are you seeing where we're marching to in Acts? You see that? So disobedience, all that stuff gets pulled away and turns against you. In obedience in that posture of, of, I'm ready, Lord, send me, we become this company, this army, this marching band for the Lord that is going to be used by him to get to everyone else. How do I know this is an expectation, the obedience of faith? It's through all scripture. All scripture, you can see it, that Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples because of how you are unified together as a people, how you love each other. The book of Malachi is to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God, to walk in this way so that people will know who I am. And Paul in Ephesians says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to Work out our faithful obedience so that people will know who Jesus is. So where do we go then in Acts? Why, why go through all of this foundational stuff to get to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 2 where we have the 12 disciples and the Holy Spirit comes on? Where is the connection? Well, the connection is that there is power in being the unified people of God, that God does not want us to remain scattered. Scattered happens because of wrath, and wrath happens because of sin, but he doesn't want to leave us there. What would a parent be like if they scolded their children and sent them out of the house and never went after them again? They become these feral children, right? What would a parent be like who has no... no interaction with their kids, whatever, just lets them run amok. We've all seen them. We've all been to restaurants. We've all judged. We've all judged other parents as we're sitting there and their kids are going crazy. That happened to me. It was in Boston. Real quick, front story. I was in Boston for, for school and a group of us, guys, all pastors, most of us parents, some were not, were sitting at a, at a booth eating pizza and the booth behind us, two young kids, a young mother, I don't think it was her husband, maybe even her boyfriend, which is fine, and, and, and everything, um, sort of. But the, the, so there was a, uh, it was just a, a dynamic there. 
And the kids started going crazy, like really, really crazy. And then the grandparents on the other side were telling the mother, it's okay, it's fine. And so the mother, you can hear her jump off the cliff. And anyone that's a parent knows when you jump off the cliff. You hear it in the tone of voice, something switches, you're like, oh, this is bad, okay? And she jumps off the cliff. And just screaming at the kids, screaming and everything, and it was just a scene. And all of us pastors are sitting at the table, and we decompressed after the scene left. And we were thought, and we were convicted, because most of us started judging, thinking, oh, get your kids under control. And then ended when we saw the mom lose control with, oh, been there. <laughs> I've definitely been there. And felt bad for what was going on. If God just left us scattered, what kind of God would that be? That just left us alone. Didn't come seeking after us. But he does, doesn't he? Because in our scattered nature, when Jesus is born, the Jews are kind of scattered. They're under control of the Romans. And Jesus comes into humanity as this baby and grows and does his ministry and calls together. He gathers together people, begins to teach them the word, the truth, the gospel. He teaches them kingdom things, kingdom values. And then he dies, crucified. And what happens when he dies? His disciples scatter. Isn't it amazing that when the Lord pours his wrath out on Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, his disciples scatter. And then we get to the end of the gospel, the resurrection, and he brings them all back and he gives them some more instruction, but they're not quite, they're not quite fully assembled yet, right? They're still kind of scattered in their hearts. There are only 11 of them. They're kind of stumbling in and they're getting the rest of the instruction from him. And then he says in Acts 1, now go and pray and wait because the Holy Spirit's going to come. When you come, you're going to hear this power is going to come upon you. And we get here to now Acts chapter 2. Listen to what is being said here in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, full stop. If you've got your journals, underline that. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, for the first time in history, thanks be to God, these 12 disciples who are fully formed are obeying and listening. Right? Jesus, when the Garden of Gethsemane said, stay here and pray for me while I go pray. What did they do? They fell asleep. Peter says, I'm not going to deny you. What does he do? He denies them three times. They, they, they mess up. But now here, on the time of the Holy Spirit coming down upon them, they are together in one place in a posture of obedience to receive what they are about to receive. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. It divided up, and they all got the Holy Spirit. We all get the same Holy Spirit when we profess Jesus Christ as Lord, the same one that's here. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were together, they were in a posture of obedience, and here comes the Holy Spirit upon them, and he sends them out. And he sends them out now, speaking in different languages, to call all of the different people who were there for Pentecost together to hear the same message the glories and the wonders of the Lord. 
And all the ones that would hear would say, do you hear them speaking? And they're amazed. And they are capturing everything that they are saying. And they're questioning it. They're like, what does this mean? And, and there's, there's, there's things happening. And yet there's still mockers, right? There's still people who, who look at them and they think, oh, they're drunk. They're, drink, they're drinking cheap wine. But the Spirit moves in and around them. And what does he do? He raises up now a fully restored Peter. The one who denied Christ three times. The imperfect apostle. He raises him up and sends him out as a representative for the 12 to now address the assembly of what is going on. And the very first thing that he preaches on is the outpouring, not of God's wrath, but of God's Holy Spirit. If the wrath of God scatters, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the Lord gathers them together. And listen to the prophecy that he uses from Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Underline sons, daughters. Your young men, underline, shall see visions, and your old men, underline, shall dream dreams. My male servants, underline, and female servants, underline, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. He opens up with this great message of unity. Men, women, male servants, female servants, young, old, everyone, when this spirit is poured out, will be gathered together and will be prophesying, will be speaking the majesties and the wonders and the truths of the Lord. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is. And so, my friends, as I said at the beginning, we see here at the first time of church history a company front where everyone comes together and marches forward in step with the prophecies and the majesties of the Lord, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then right there at the end of the prophecy, that bit of hope, now for if anyone shall call upon the name of this Lord, they will receive salvation. What a great opening to a sermon. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the imperfect Peter, who once upon a time says, surely you are the Christ, and then said, I knew ye not, now stands here and is able to utter scripture from prophecy with such profound courage and boldness that means to bring them all together under this Holy Spirit that has been sent. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 37, it's the dry bones passage. That's exactly what's happening here. They were, they were called together, the apostles, but they didn't have the life in them yet. And then the Holy Spirit comes and they become a mighty army for the Lord. There is power in being the unified people under the banner of the triune God. And that power calls people from all sorts of the walks of the earth, all nations, to know that he is the true God. If you profess a faith in Jesus Christ, you have that Holy Spirit and you have that expectation to live in obedience, of expectant obedience, to be called to the front line and march forward, spreading the good news of who Jesus is. And that's what we're called to do as a church because this is the launch of the church. And so my question to you, what is our takeaway as Bethel Presbyterian? What do we do with this information? 
Well, we should sit on it. Because this is a great triumphant story of the church. This is wonderful. This is the first time they're all in unity. And yet we know in church history this does not last. The epistles and church history show us that they did not stay necessarily unified. They began to get pulled apart by temptations. They began to be pulled apart by false teachings. They began to be pulled apart by politics. They began to be pulled apart by things that were not of the kingdom. You are Christ followers and you are of the kingdom now. When the Holy Spirit comes, those four Ps get, they, they, they get restored because now the 12 are restored. They are a people. You are a church. The church are the people of the one triune God. We are protected just as Jesus prayed in John. Protect them from the evil ones. We have the constant provision of the Holy Spirit who comes now and gives us the truth of the gospel daily. And we have a place because now the kingdom is in us. The kingdom of heaven is now in us to share with people. We have it now and we will have it yet in its full when he comes again. So are we Bethel? Are we there? Are we all on a company front? Are we all unified by kingdom values? I don't think we're that lost. I don't. But I think that we could run the risk of reclining on tradition, of allowing earthly values to come in and get mixed in with kingdom values. We could run the risk of that. And so when we hear a message like this, all that should do is just a challenge, a stir in your heart to be like, okay, Lord, what, what are we going to be about here? What is your mission for us that we may join hand in hand and be our own little company front here to influence Columbus, influence Ohio. Here we are, Lord, send us. There's great power in the unified people under the banner of the triune God. My friends, I hope as you pray to vote, because that's what's going to happen in a little bit, that you would see me as the imperfect sinner that I am, saved by grace, and I just want to march where Jesus is calling us to march. That you would see me as someone who wants to do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with our God, and lead us as a church to do the same with grace and love in our own lives and within our own families. That you would see me as someone who values the historic traditions of this church. Sometimes being an associate pastor of Next Generation Ministries, it can become something where we think that all I care about is young people. And young people are great. I love young people. I, you know, they're, they're my people. Uh, young families, things like that, great. Teenagers, you know, we take, no, I'm just kidding. I love teenagers, but. But I also respect and value the historic traditions of this church, the wealth of wisdom that is in this room right now, that's watching online. And it's not lost on me the legacy of 50 years of pastoral wisdom that you all have endured here and I've been under with Pastor Jerry Kasberg and Jack Watson. And that you would see me as someone who hopes to boldly move forward with Christ as our primary leader, our guide, and our shepherd. Let me say it again, that we move forward with Christ as our primary leader, guide, and shepherd and be guided by holy scriptures and the values that the church values and the legacy of mission that they have here to love, live, serve, share Jesus Christ wherever we go. My friends, 
Let us be a church that is unified under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that is unified under the banner of the Church of Christ, so that when people see us, and maybe they may wonder that we, we look drunk. Don't be drunk. But maybe they, they would wonder that. And they would wonder about the joy and the hope that we have. Will you join with me in being in step with the drum major Jesus to carry out his mission here in Columbus for this church? That is my prayer for you all today. To him be all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, as we come to your table this morning, also a great symbol of unity that unites us, the church, with other churches in the world who profess you as Lord and Savior, as the rightful Son of God, who professes the sacrament of the Holy Supper, of the Holy Dinner, in which you gathered your disciples together around and gave them a new covenant and demonstrated that through the elements of bread and wine. Lord, as we come together now in this great act of unity, may our hearts be prepared to receive your truth, your Holy Spirit, to continue to move in this place. May our hearts be stirred by the grace in which we have received. May our hearts be served to stand shoulder to shoulder with the various different people in this room, but all united, Lord, under your banner. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night in which the Lord was to be betrayed, he grabbed um, his disciples and had them around the table and he took the loaf of bread and after giving thanks, he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, which is the cup of salvation. He poured out the wine and he said, now this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul added a little addendum. And he said, as often as you drink of this cup and eat of this bread, you proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. You proclaim the kingdom values until he comes again. You proclaim the unified message of the gospel until he comes again. So that all nations would know who he is. My friends, let's partake in this Last Supper together. The body of Christ is broken for you, and the blood of Christ is shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Does anybody need elements brought to them? It's just you, right? This has not been touched. There you go. <laughs> the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you again for your sacrifice and for not leaving us as scattered people, that you sent your son, Jesus, to begin the emulsification process, that you then sent the Holy Spirit to whip us together, to be a one united church, O oh Lord, the holy Catholic church, O oh God, 
that we would be together and united under that, that we wouldn't separate over things that aren't of the kingdom, that we would let the world know what we are for rather than preaching about what we are against so that the power of the Holy Spirit can grip a heart through the affection of the Lord Jesus Christ that they would know that he is calling their name and profess a faith in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.